tantissimo per il 2023 questo tipo Oscar della moda. So in November we were told about this very important Academy Awards of Fashion prize. So my daughter stood up and said, Dad, we won the prize. We are supposed to go to Paris. And the day before going to Paris, I took my car. I went to the family cemetery graveyard. So I have my 12 relatives who passed away all together. And I said, my friends, my father, my mother, uncle, aunt, I am going to Paris tomorrow to be presented with this prestigious prize. But please pray for me. And then I was touched. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. On the top of a hill in central Italy is the vibrant village of Solomeo. It houses the Prunello Cuccinelli headquarters from which I have just returned. The medieval hamlet which Cuccinelli has personally rejuvenated and brought back to life is where his wife Federica grew up and it is a spot where Cuccinelli decided to produce vibrantly dyed cashmere back in 1978. Solomeo is now home to Brunello Cuccinelli from factory to theatre, a shop and the new addition of a winery. Then there is a sanctuary where wild meadows and green fields grow. The Italian luxury creative director and chief executive of his eponymous label also runs a school of art and crafts to continue the traditions, a subject close to his heart. My dream is to set up a form of modern capitalism where business profit must be sought while respecting the human being's moral and economic dignity, he added. Hence our idea to act as guardians of the creation. Brunello and I met originally at the biannual Pitti menswear shows in Florence. We met there many years ago and I have watched the company grow into what it is today with his two daughters now involved. Let's hear how nature is in Brunello's blood and heart, his respect for heritage and restoring moral dignity in creative skills is his life's work. For this particular episode, it is slightly different as I am sharing a live interview. I had it on stage with Brunello Cuccinelli in his Solomeo Theatre. As Brunello speaks Italian, you will hear the interpreter who sat beside us on the stage. Brunello, I'm shocked. You're not wearing your hat that you got, your amazing hat um, that you had in uh, America. And um, where is it? <laughs> I have always believed that we need to uh, nurture a lot of respect for the thoughts of others. 
So I went to be presented with this prestigious prize in America. And I went to take a preview of the hall of the location where there was about to be presented with it, a noble venue for Dallas. And I was, I came across a statue that was holding the Texan hat just like that on the side. So I said to my wife, go rush and buy a Texan hat immediately. <laughs> and when I was called onto the stage, I wore my hat. I said, thank you. And before addressing the audience, I took my hat and I was holding the way they hold it usually, which is a wonderful thing. I think we need to have the courage to be open to the world, respecting any kind of culture, race, religion. But at least what I do when I come to see your country, I want to experience the way you live, your ways. So last night we have served you a typical dinner that dates back to when we were farmers. Perhaps you didn't like it, but that is exactly what we used to eat and still do. So whenever I come to visit your countries, I want you to serve me exactly the food that, are, that is more important in your culture, what you would eat. Well, we love your food, we love your hat, and we love all your wonderful clothes. But what does fashion really mean to you? Is it being in here in Solomeo and really knowing every single person who works for you? Or is there something else? Are there fashion dreams? Is there a way of living that makes fashion important? Or is it perhaps less important for you than we think? Grazie per tutti i complimenti. Thank you for all your compliments. So I am in love with Emperor Hadrian, who lived in Rome 2,000 years ago. At one point, he goes, walks into the Senate and says, that senator over there, well, he's not very rich, but he dresses well. The other one is he's really wealthy and loaded, but he's not refined. He does not represent our culture. So in fashion, I wanted to epitomize our culture, our way of living, the love and passion we have for our calapaleta land. Because I have always believed that what we need to pursue in life is to find the home of our soul. Because this is what matters the most in life. So we understand what a spirit you've got. We understand when we look at your clothes, we feel there's something special about them. But when you're just talking about the clothes themselves, the things that you wear, how do you feel about it? Do you want to have the clothes that you wear um, enriched by buying new and other pieces and wearing them all together? Or are you somebody who wants a whole new outfit? And what do your clients like? So we were farmers and it was Christmas time. And my mum was coming back walking from the market. And she said, I bought you a wonderful present for Christmas. And she showed me a pair of trousers, green corduroy trousers. And I was 10 back then. It was the only pair of trousers that I was supposed to wear for the whole year. And I have never been a great fan of green. So I got out my spade. I went in the backyard. I digged out a hole and I buried those green trousers. <laughs> and my mom kept asking, what about the green trousers? can't find them. But you see, there were 13 members of our family living together, and I had revealed this to my aunt. <laughs> Which means that we all have something inborn in life. And now, as a grown-up, you will not very easily come across green in our collections. 
You see, I only have eight or ten photos of pictures dating back to when I was a child. And I'm always wearing white trousers, a beige jacket or a grey one. That means that was really the true source of inspiration for me. And then when I took up this job, this business, I really wanted to give to you some, a part of our taste. Because that's part of us. So when I started, I had no money in my pockets. And it was by great experience, this one. And the owner of Barney's turned up at Pity, a very high regard. Mr. Presman, do you know him? And we were just exhibiting, displaying five, six sweaters there. <laughs> He's a very serious but very refined, chic man. So he walked into our booth and there was a sweater that caught his attention. It was a brown sweater, the same color as the princess's dress. And he asked me, how much is that? I said, $200 too expensive, he said. And I knew for a fact that the, he would always reply with expensive. Then he looked at three or other, other items and went back to the same one. How much is that? $100 expensive. Then he looked at me, smiling, and said, you said 200 before. I said, Mr. Pressman, you are the most distinguished representative of fashion here in the world. I knew you would say expensive whatever I say. So he smiled. Then he placed an order. And in Barney's New York, he displayed our goods. While you were having this experience in New York, were you having similar things in Italy or was the attitude completely different back home? Well, but about what I was saying is means a lot of respect for the other's trade and culture and taste. This was a great experience to have. Because now, to, to your question, the first 15 years of my life I spent in the countryside, and they were really the best part of my life. And I still remember all the scents and the shapes of the landscape. And when we were working tilling the land with animals, I was the one in charge of pulling the oxen. And my dad would say, mind you, the furrows, they need to be straight, perfect. He was staring. And I would ask her, why should they be straight? Because they look better this way. They're more beautiful. So the furrows needed to be straight because they looked better. So there you go with this culture of beauty, this culture of having others love you. Like Mr. Pressman, St. Francis from Assisi in the 13th century decided to walk to meet the Sultan, to meet him. And they hugged and they struck up a friendship. And Frederick II, around 1220 more or less, a great Christian emperor, as soon as he was elected, he said, I want my personal guards to be Muslim only. So the emperor went to meet the sultan, and that's when a friendship was born. So the idea is to display respect for taste, nature, language, culture, your culture, Susie. Our beloved Jean-Jacques Rousseau, I know you, you like, you appreciate this philosopher. Whoever we're talking about from the past 
or from the present, whether it's from um, Italy, your birth country, or whether it's from America, where people are buying mostly for smart occasions. But whatever happens, you have to have not an audience, but people who are making things for you. You know, yesterday we were seeing that um, people were working for you, but also that you've arranged things so that they can eat their meals, so that you can have really people who seem like a family. Do you think of them as a family? Yes, well said, Susie. So I think that for the time to come, the issue will not lie in those who will buy and purchase these beautiful, exclusive, well-made clothes, but rather the shortage of people who can actually make them, manufacture them. That's the issue. Here, I don't want to talk about white-collar workers or managers. I want to talk about blue-collar laborers, exactly those who every morning for $1,500, at least in Italy, a month, they will go and ply these trays, this wonderful uh, play, work with their hands, which means that we have to give back moral and economic dignity to the human being. So you go to work in the morning, every morning for $1,500, and we all carry this malaise in our soul that we, we always have with us. I think that the, there needs to be a great shift precisely in these years, this decade. We have to go back to investing precisely on those human beings with skilled hands. Some of you mentioned Lorenzo Magnifico. So he, he basically sits around the same table, Michelangelo, who back then, he was just an apprentice, and he was sitting there. And then beside him, there was Marcellus Ficinus, the philosopher, which means to confer the very same dignity to the arts and the crafts. We are true manufacturers, as you were saying, but we need to really, we need a great shift in our relation to our blue-collar workers, our laborers. We are used to having our laborers in, in our factories without the possibility to look out without any windows. Because they say we waste time if we look out. So white-collars, clerks, they sit on the top floor and look at the sky, and the others down below. But can you imagine a world when Italy does not have all these people prepared to make clothing especially, but shoes and other things. You know, the, in Europe at least, you are absolutely the country who is making things that people wear and people love. Is it going to go on like that? And if not, what can you do to make it? So this lack of workers now affects all different industries. Who of you would be willing to recommend this kind of jobs to any of your relatives, kids or grandchildren? No one would like that. My esteemed friend, the laborer. I'm not talking about a clerk or a fashion designer, a laborer. You have to get up every morning at 23 years of age and go to work for only $1,500 a month. Unless we restore moral dignity to these crafts, unless we restore economic dignity to these trades, unless we place you to work surrounded by a beautiful workplace. Jean-Jacques Rousseau used to say that you can be creative when everything that surrounds you is in balance with creation. And we really need to foster the creativity of our skilled hands. That's why we have made a decision, everybody working in our plant, in our factory, they need to see out, to see the sky, the sun, the, the rain. You get up at 7 a.m. in the morning. Maybe you have no windows. And you have artificial light 
every day. Mm. And we all have this malaise in our soul, and you have it with you when you get up at 7 a.m. But there are so many other people in Italy and around the world when we know that the people who make the clothes are treated extremely badly. You talk about people waking up at 7 in the morning and in a room without windows, but what about these people who are paid nothing, who are badly treated? I'm not saying in Italy, but I'm sure that it's true that there are some places in Italy who don't have your kind of views about how, the, how clothes should be made and would be made. Pero, Susi, non è solo un problema well, yes, it is not just an Italian issue. The issue of laborers is a worldwide issue. My father would be subject to offense and humiliation. He basically did reinforced concrete, so a humble job. And I was 15 back then. And my 45-year-old dad would come home with tearful eyes, complaining and saying, what did I do wrong to God in order to be subject to such humiliation? And I was 15, 16. That's when I stated, I don't know what I will do with my life. One thing is for sure, I will work to foster human dignity. Why should a human being be humiliated? So our children, your children, your grandchildren, I would like them to go back to investing in human beings. I have two brothers who are now retired, but they were workers all their life. And I saw their hands hard because of, and rough because of work. And this applies not to Italy only, but across the world. But look how things have changed. Your daughters are now working in a way that would have been inconceivable in the time of your father. We're talking about uh, women as much as men being allowed to make things and do things, and women are often leaders in all this. Don't you think that that it shows that there are good signs in perhaps a difficult world? Well, I'm very happy about my daughters, you know, working in the company. So in November, we were told about this very important Academy Awards of Fashion Prize. So my daughter turned up and said, Dad, we won the prize. We are supposed to go to Paris. And the day before going to Paris, I took my car. I went to the family cemetery graveyard. So we, we in Italy, we do not, not always bury our dead, but sometimes we put them above ground on some slots. So I have my 12 relatives who passed away all together. And I said, my friends, my father, my mother, uncle, aunt, I am going to Paris tomorrow to be presented with this prestigious prize. But please pray for me. And then I was touched, wistful. I came back from Paris. I took my prize and brandishing it, I said, here it is. We all won it together, this prize. And actually, you think you're speaking to your dead ones, but you're speaking to your soul. Can you hear the beautiful bell tolling midday? It really instills serenity inside you. So I have tried to pass on to my daughters, to my offspring, this idea of working whilst behaving properly with mankind. But how can you get other people to do as you do? Because this is not easy, what you tell us, and it's very 
impressive is not even the word. It's moving how much you are involved with your family and what you do and your workers. And it's wonderful that the music has come on just at this moment. It seems as though the whole thing is just a kind of dream. But how can we encourage other people to do it? I'm sure there are some people that you know who... La domanda è bellissima. Yes, that's a great question. You must be credible, always. When you're going through tough times, in lovable times, Alexander the Great, my teacher, he would drink the very same amount of water as his fellow, fellow soldiers. Another great inspirer of mine, Cyrus the Great, 590 before Christ, and he's an ancestor of my friend Ramin, Ramin, 2,500 years later. Well, we know something about Cyrus. When he was 10, his father was a king and sent him to his grandfather and said, Cyrus, you have to study how to become a great king. Go to your grandfather. And the granddad said, Cyrus, you must become a great king. Eat a lot of meat to be stronger. So they prepared, laid out this beautiful table for him, all different varieties of meat. And Cyrus, 10 years of age, he turned up and had a little bit of meat and gave it to the maid and said, I was scared last night and you reassured me, this is for you. Another piece of meat, this is for you because you teach me how to horse ride. This is for you because you treat my grandma properly. That was the end of the meat who ran out. And he has become one of the greatest wise people in mankind. He ruled the great amiable Persia for 60 years. This is a wonderful story, and it's very good that there were some people in the past, not so many, I think, who thought of looking after women and their children and all these many things, but, and it's a big but, life was not so perfect then, and, and life is not so perfect now. What can we do? What is the idea we could all do to help other people, to make our own lives better, to make the lives of people who work for us better? You see, Susie, one thing is for sure. The human feelings are the same now as, you know, 5,000 years ago. When you feel love, humiliation. Now we have something extra. We have the mobile phone. And I think that, you know, it can be the great ethicalizer of mankind. Because if you do something that is not fair, that is not just, everybody knows about it. We have to go back to being true and credible. I say to my daughters, are you worried? Show it to me. I want to show your you to show your feelings. Of course, as parents and grandparents, we ourselves, we have to convey to them the courage of dreaming. What's the point of living a dreamless life? Your generation, our generation has passed on the obligation to always be afraid of something. You should replace the word fear with the word hope tomorrow. I would like somebody in the audience 
to say that they agree so much with this or they disagree? Is there anyone who is brave enough to come up with something, with a question, with a comment? Here is someone wanting to make a comment to your right. Maybe if you stand up, we can all hear you better. It's a theatre. I would like to be a temporary guardian of creation. I don't know how much time has been allotted to me, but every day we have our business to take care of, and also we have the surroundings to take care of, everything surrounding us. I want to live in harmony with creation. When we were farmers, we would collect rainwater. Then we would treat our lamp properly, even if we then slaughtered it for Easter. And something particularly interesting, there were six Buddhist monks who came to visit. And in the evening, we had dinner in front of the theater with a beautiful moonlight. Vegetarian, they were vegetarian. And before setting out to dinner, one of them said, let us eat just a fair amount so that enough is left for mankind. I had two zucchini on my plate, like my esteemed princess did last night. She ate four zucchinis, gorgettes, and I had two rigatoni. I'm always starving, by the way. So, we are just transient here, just here for a short time, and we need to look after what surrounds us. You, for 30, 40 years, you represented the history of fashion and culture in the world. And that's how you will be remembered. There are projects and tasks and duties that last for one year, two years, or some others for centuries. John Ruskin stated, when you build, do build for eternity. Hadrian the Emperor said, I feel responsible for beauty in the world. And when I was invited to address the G20 summit with all the ministers sitting in front of me, and I, you see, I never jot down any of my speeches. There was the then Prince Charles, now King, then Prime Minister Draghi and myself, and there was Frau Merkel and Macron all staring at me in front of me. Boris Johnson. <laughs> you see, I was surrounded by these people. And bear in mind that I did not eat any food for two days because I thought, what if I get a tummy ache, you know, and I can't go there. And the last words that I addressed to all of them, I said, you are in charge of the beauty in the world. You who are the temporary guardians of mankind. On behalf of mankind, show us the way in life. And may God protect us. Actually, I said creation. Because I prefer to use this word. It is creation and it respects everyone. And Boris Johnson was sitting there. Nice speech! And he said, nice speech to me. <laughs> and the same said Macron in French. 
you see, and I was, I was there surrounded by these people. It was a great experience to speak at the G20. And that's when I talked about my idea of human, humanistic capitalism and human sustainability. How do you bring all of this, which is fascinating, entertaining, amusing, very deep, what we've listened to this morning, but how do you transfer this to the people who are working just near to us here, um, or to your own family, to your own daughters? Well, we have known each other for many years, Susie. I want to lead a normal life, engaging in great relations with, with creation and human beings. Everyone, everyone is different to one another in their thoughts, in their culture, and we need to show regard and respect. When we do something beautiful, well, it's, it's an achievement for everybody. And if we do something wrong, well, that happens. You must have noticed that I love football, and you see you have many coaches, when they win, they say, I win. It's not true. The team wins. And when we lose, the team loses. You must be true to yourself. Here is my last question. Yes. What can we all do and what do you do to make life a better place for us and for everybody? What can we do? <laughs> This is a great question. That's what I attempt to do on a daily basis. We have some workers who work as um, brick, brick workers and they come from a Muslim culture. Builders. And 20 days ago, they finished their Ramadan period for a month. So usually, we meet every morning at seven, we have breakfast together, cappuccino and, and that. But they were going through their Ramadan. So... So we were having, uh, you know, breakfast together. I, I would not eat anything because I could not possibly eat in front of them. It's like when I was served pasta last night, which displays an utmost respect for the other's culture and thought. And the more you are important you are, the more you need to be, you know, nice, kind to people who might seem less creative because the role they play in life is different, but they're nevertheless human beings too. So we have to go back and invest in, to invest in human beings. So when I am supposed to hold a speech somewhere, I come here to the theater by myself. Also for the G20, I rehearse here. So I have the emperor, Hadrian, Seneca, philosopher. I asked them, Hadrian, what do you think of my speech? Not bad. <laughs> But I do all of it by myself. But that means that I'm here to speak, to address my soul. And we really need to go back to talking to ourselves, to our soul. So you see, at Pity, we would not just discuss fashion with Susie. We would talk about humanity. I hope that this short trip here, from this short trip, you are taking home simplicity in relations with other people. And we're taking home, especially, 
all the things you've said, which will keep us busy for the next three months thinking of everything you've said to us. It's inspirational, it's fascinating, and it's a wonderful way to spend the morning. Thank you. Thank you, Brunello, for sharing your deep side. You are very philosophical and sensitive. You give us hope for tomorrow. I was overwhelmed by the beauty and the sense of history with a feeling of family. You can tell that the intense work, passion, harmony and commitment you have put into Solomeo is from the heart. I think Hadrian would have been very proud. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels. Thank you.